Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. And isn't it wonderful that we live in a country that we can celebrate Maroon Friday as we choose. I hope that you are celebrating with us as it is a huge baseball weekend for Mississippi State. You know, we're going to preview the game in the series a little bit later. We're going to kind of recap what happened in the SEC on Thursday and kind of look ahead the rest of the weekend. But... As we mentioned after the Arkansas series, you know, it's like you have those moments where it's like, you know what, every year we get up and we think, man, is this the year? And then we get swept by Arkansas and we think, you know what, it's not the year again. It's just not our year again. Well, I told you guys then it's a long season. Gotten some help along the way. We're right there within a game. And so if we look at our schedule, it really eases up a great deal after this weekend. And so if it is our year, we should go to Vanderbilt and have a chance to take the series. Now, do we take the series considering they got Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter going? I don't know. But I think worst case scenario, we got to go take a game. And then we got to have some help. Next weekend, we have A&M coming in, then we go to South Carolina. Then we have Missouri coming in, and we go to Alabama. So outside of that South Carolina series, you look at those and say, you know what, states should take those series probably got a chance to sweep those three series so we just need to survive this weekend without getting too far behind we got to avoid getting swept we got to find a way to go up there and get a game and maybe two and that's the thing too you know kumar's been off one friday night lighter's been on kumar's on lighter's off it's been that way the last couple weekends and as we have seen in recent days when you throw those guys out there 100 plus pitches a ball game it catches up with you I think our Bulldogs are playing pretty good baseball right now, probably as prepared as we can be to go to Nashville. And as I mentioned on a couple articles on Gene's page, uh, we've won the last two series in, in Nashville. Now, all that and 50 cents to get you a cup of coffee at the, uh, at the truck stop. But as I asked Chris Lamonis in our Thursday presser, you got guys like Tanner Allen, Rowdy Jordan, Josh Hatcher that have won in Nashville. They went up there and won the 2018 Super Regional and went to Omaha 
in Nashville in front of a raucous crowd. It won't be anything close to that. The biggest crowd they've had all year was this past week against Austin P. 788 people showed. So there, it will not be an intimidating atmosphere. I know they're trying to get people out to the ballpark. It's just not quite working the way they had hoped. Uh, a lot of restrictions in place there. And so it's not going to be this raucous environment. So we've got a great chance to go up there. We're playing well. They're playing pretty well themselves. But they're not going to have the same home field advantage, perhaps, that they would have ordinarily. It won't be anywhere close to what we saw in 2018 and probably not even in 2016. We went up there and we uh, won that series. And that was really the first weekend that we thought, you know what? 16 might be a special year. Vanderbilt was really good that year. This kid named Mangum got a big hit, won, a, uh, won us a ball game, and then got a kid named Cole Gordon uh, dropped the ball down the left field line that uh, chased home the winning run. And we thought, you know what? These young guys that we're working with, these guys might build towards something. Well, they did. They won an SEC championship, went to Omaha twice. So I say that to say this, I don't think we're going to be intimidated by going up there. I believe that our Bulldogs believe in themselves. I don't think they're going to go up there and just try to survive the series. They're going to go up there looking to win the series. I shared some numbers earlier this week. Mississippi State struck out the fewest number of times of anybody in the Southeastern Conference. Number two on that list is Auburn, and there are 40 strikeouts behind Mississippi State. So while we may not be a great offensive team, we are not a big swing and miss team. And I know that's a surprising number to a lot of people that think, oh, my gosh, we got this, we got that. Fewest number of Ks in the league on the year. That's a pretty remarkable stat. And we're going to go up there and play some guys against some guys that um, are big swing and miss guys. So something's got to give. You know, one of the things that we've got to do is lay off that, that high fastball. And that's difficult to do at times. we got to let – Rocker and Leiter walk us when they want to. Leiter's not a guy that, that issues a lot of free passes. But Kumar Rocker is a guy sometimes that gets out over his skis a little bit and challenges hitters. And a lot, most of the time it works out. Other times it doesn't. So we've got to go up there and be patient. Got to elevate some counts to get into that bullpen. Uh, they've got one really good reliever. And then the rest of it is just kind of typical SEC stuff. And so we'll see how things go. They're still struggling to figure out some Sunday pitching. Uh, so we'll see. Now, a couple other programming notes. For some reason, Apple Music had an issue on Wednesday. And so it took a while for the show to show up on Apple Music. I know this, many of you listen to it on Spotify or Google Play, or you use the Radio Public uh, viewer. And now the show is even available on YouTube. Go to jeanspages.com, and it's on YouTube. So if you don't have any of that stuff, or perhaps you're at a desktop and don't want to run your battery down, you can use the YouTube channel. But they tell me they've got it fixed. There was a problem kind of network-wide with Apple. They, they tell me they've got it taken care of. So that's handled. And so I'm recording this show a little bit earlier than normal. I'm actually getting before the microphone before midnight. So I have, should have this show up early morning for you guys again. I've got a really busy day on Friday. Got to get up, get a couple tires, uh, get the oil change, get on the road to Nashville because I'm going to cover the, uh, the Diamond Dogs playing at Vanderbilt. It's been a busy stretch, I'll be honest with you. You know, last week uh, went and got another tattoo, and some of you are saying, well, Steve, I, I can't imagine that you have room for more. I do. I have room for plenty more. Went and got the tattoo and then had uh, got my second shot, and then I got my hair done, my annual hair appointment. So how about that? So it's been a busy week and uh, ready to kind of get back to some normalcy. I don't like having to go do all that kind of stuff. I love getting tattooed, but I don't, 
I don't like having to be away from the from the action for very long. Sometimes I have to do that, but my road trips kind of give me a chance to uh, to relax a little bit. So I'm looking forward to going to Nashville. Robbie Falk going over there with me. So we'll have all the coverage at jeanspage.com. I believe we are the only media people that are making the trip. And so we'll be the only people to be able to ask game uh, questions in postgame. So if you're looking for reaction from Chris Lamonis and players, the only place to find it this weekend is going to be jeanspage.com. And we make that content free. So even if you're not a VIP member, and you should be, you'll be able to go over there and read and see what everybody had to say. Excited to go. I've never covered baseball at Vanderbilt. I've covered football there. Never covered baseball. So this will be one I can kind of check off the bingo card there. Uh, been to let's see, I've been to Tennessee, been to Florida, just about everybody. I've been every, everywhere in the West, and then the only things I got left to do in the East are Georgia, South Carolina, and Mizzou, and we'll knock off Vandy this weekend and South Carolina two weekends. So uh, those are the kind of things that kind of keep you going when you're in this line of work. So a lot to talk about today. So let's go ahead and get to that. I have been to Bulldog Burger Company recently. I told you guys Dave Murray and I went. Dave finished his portion, which amazes me, considering how small David is. But he did. I didn't finish mine. I got the BLT salad uh, with ranch instead of barbecue ranch. The, the barbecue ranch is good. I just wasn't feeling it that day. Great portion, great food, great prices. I mean, I tell you, I love going in there. I really do. Because here's what I know. When I go to Bulldog Burger Company, I know that I'm going to get full. I'm going to get great food. It's going to be a great portion for the amount of money I'm paying. It's become such a great thing, too. I've had so many people that have reached out and said, you know what, Steve, I'd never heard of Bulldog Burger Company. I've never been in there until I started listening to the show. We love it. Now the kids want to go every time we come to Star or go to Tupelo. And there's a reason why. Those people know exactly what they're doing. They know how to feed folks. University Drive right here in Start Vegas and Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and coming soon right there in Ridgeland. You guys know it. You guys have been sending the pictures out. I know you, you sent them to me. You send them to me because you equate me with Bulldog Burger Company, and I think that's great because I, I like to be associated with quality. Looking forward to seeing that central Mississippi location open. Thank you guys, and are going to be really, really happy. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's go ahead. First of all, let's go ahead and jump into, before we do the Vandy preview, let's jump into what's happened around the league. I, matter of fact, I just got done watching the Ole Miss LSU ball game. That's a big win for Mississippi State. Now, not just because of the fact that we want Ole Miss to lose, but, you know, us and Ole Miss resume-wise are pretty similar. Even though we won two out of three with them, the resumes are pretty similar. So we need LSU to take that series. We need LSU to give us a little breathing room with Ole Miss because, you know, comparable size venues, you know, I'm, I'm being nice, okay? But with the NCAA kind of announcing they're recommending 50% capacity, well, they still want to make some money in this deal. So that's going to hurt some of these smaller market teams. But, you know, places like Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, LSU, and which LSU is in no chance of hosting. But you understand my point is that those bigger venues are going to be more attractive because there's going to be more revenue available. Not to mention the teams that are in contention would have a good venue and experience kind of hosting these regionals. So it would make sense. So we need some distance between us and Ole Miss. Now, we did not get the help from South Carolina we had hoped. That was a really tight ball game for a while, 1-1. And then Arkansas put them away, had a big dinger to make it 3-1. They eventually win 6-1. But here's the thing about the Ole Miss thing, and I've said it from the beginning, and many of you thought, well, Steve's just being a homer, uh, and maybe I was. Ole Miss is not an elite team. They got a couple of good front-line pitchers, but they're not an elite team. 
They don't defend exceptionally well. Uh, you know, they swing and miss a lot. They, they're, they're way, 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 way away from everybody else that's in contention when it comes to strikeouts. There's a lot of swing and miss in that lineup. And so when they face decent pitching, it's a problem. Now, they hit a couple of, I guess, three home runs off Landon Marceau on Thursday. But here's what they did, too, that is rather interesting. Gunnar Hagelin did not go, apparently has some, quote, stiffness. And listen, we wish him the best. We really do. I, I don't want any of these kids to get hurt, ever, ever, under any circumstances. Especially, that's a guy to turn down first-round money to come to school, so you would hate to see him, kind of like we were with JT Ginn. I mean, you know, it's like you hate to see a guy put himself, his pro future in jeopardy by coming to school. And that's the risk they take. And so you would hate to see that happen for Gunnar Hoglund, so hopefully they'll make the right decision up there. So because Hoglund couldn't go, they threw Diamond, Derek Diamond. And uh, Diamond, of course, the former Sunday starter, has pitched some in uh, relief, you know, pitched against us in relief and uh, took the loss uh, in the Sunday game. But he pitched well enough to win on Thursday. I thought the kid did a great job. I guess he leaves and it's 2-2. But then they burn Broadway. Broadway throws about 50 pitches. He's done for the weekend. So now – You've lost your two guys. I mean, you're, you're expecting Diamond to kind of, you know, mature into that role to kind of be that, you know, long reliever to kind of get you to the back end. Well, now you've burned him for the weekend. But now you've earned Broadway for the weekend. And that's a pretty thin bullpen already. So now you need Doug McKay to go out there and do what he did last weekend. You know, the odds obviously are against that. I mean, McKay is a gamer. I'm sure that LSU will get his best shot tomorrow. But you got to think those kids in purple and gold are pretty fired up to go on the road and win a game one against a team that is in the hunt. And I'm sure Paul Maneri was thinking, you know what, we got a chance to win that Sunday game because they're not going to have anything left pitching-wise. And so it could be a series much like we saw last weekend, you know, where, where the team wins on Friday and wins on Sunday. At least that's what we're hoping for. We really need LSU to take that series, not just because we despise Ole Miss, but because we need to put some distance between ourselves and then – them and if we go up there and have a bad weekend at Vanderbilt then they're right back with us and so right now they're a game and a half back of us so we got to find a way to go win a game or two in Nashville we got to go take care of our part and I I do believe LSU will take the series in Oxford I've said all along on this show that LSU would get a game from from Ole Miss and probably get a game from Arkansas I still believe that now they've already taken care of Ole Miss and now when you begin to look to see how that game played out and the way that bullpen the shape that Ole Miss bullpen is in you got to like LSU's chances. I mean, what are the, what are the odds of Nikhazy going back-to-back weeks? You know, I mean, the, the kid was outstanding against us. Is it reasonable to expect that again this week? No, it's not. And that's not saying he's not capable because he's been really good since coming off the injury. But that's a lot of pressure for the guy to be in. I do think Ole Miss takes it on, Saturday, on Friday and then LSU will win game three. That's what I expect. Now, we really need South Carolina to get a win from, South Car- from Arkansas. Arkansas pitching is all over the place, and eventually that will be their undoing. I, do, I told you guys after the Arlington series, I felt Arkansas was the most impressive team in the tournament. The more that I watched them play, the more I realized what a great coach Dave, Dave Van Horn is because he continues to manage this pitching staff, and, and it's different names. Every time he throws Wicklander for a while and then kind of gets some juice out of that, then that begins to kind of fade, and he puts somebody else in there. So the guy clearly knows what he's doing. It's an extremely well-coached team, and they're so potent offensively. They're going to hit home runs. And so what you have to do is make sure that they're hitting solo home runs 
You got to keep guys off the bases. You can't beat yourself. And a lot of that's what State did. That's not taking thing away from Arkansas. But you know, we did a lot of things that you do to get you beat. And and one of those is uh, you know you put people on, and that's what we did. We didn't play clean defense. We walked some guys. We hit some guys, and they made us pay. They absolutely made us pay. We had that Saturday game one, and the next thing you know, we drop a pop fly out there behind third and give a three run home run. The game's over. It's over. I like Arkansas a lot, but I do think once they run across some elite pitching in a big ballpark like at Omaha, it's going to be difficult for them to win those ball games. Very difficult. Could be that Wade Hoover. We'll see. But, you know, it's like I'd rather lose in Hoover and win in Omaha, right? Wouldn't we all? All right, so let's look around the league here in addition to those series. It's a busy weekend as always, and I love this time of year because every game matters. You know, it's like we're scoreboard watching for everybody. So, as I mentioned, Arkansas at South Carolina. Georgia is at Missouri. you got to like Georgia there. Scott Strickland's guys have kind of figured this pitching thing out. And despite the fact they're short some arms, they're playing really well right now. They're really not a team I would want to meet in Hoover. I mean, because the bigger ballpark, for one. But by the time they get there, they're going to have these pitching roles really settled and guys are going to be, you know, kind of entrenched in their roles. And I think they're a team that could surprise at Hoover. I really do. Alabama's at Kentucky. That'll be a really intriguing season uh, series. I suspect it'll be a split. I, I, I like Kentucky's chance to win it. It's because I don't think Alabama's got anybody on the back end to kind of close the door, and Kentucky's playing at home. I could see it going the other way, but I'm really pulling for Nick Mangione, so I hope they win the series. Florida is at Auburn. you got to like Florida's chances here. But, you know, Auburn's one of those teams, too, and their ballpark – it's an offensive park, and so we'll see how things progress. You know, Florida's pitching staff has not been nearly as dominant as it was expected to be. They're kind of just hanging in here in this deal. It's crazy to think about, you know, Florida being ranked 15th in the country, and they were the consensus pick to win the SEC this year and to go on to Omaha and potentially contend for a national championship. Uh, Tennessee is at Texas A&M. I would love to see A&M win a game against Tennessee just to kind of give us a little room to, to operate there. Because I really don't want to be behind Tennessee when they get ready to pick. I mean, I don't know how many SEC host sites we're going to get. I'm confident we're going to get one because I think we'll definitely be in the top 16. And then we'll see how the season plays out. And then perhaps we play our way into a top eight national seed because the schedule is so favorable in the month of May. But I would really like to see A&M take a game uh, from Tennessee. Love to see them win the series. I just don't think that's – Realistic. So let's take a look at the standings here real quick as we get ready to uh, to head to Nashville. Vanderbilt on top of the East, eleven and four. Tennessee right there behind them, ten and five. South Carolina now ten and six. Florida nine and six. Georgia, Kentucky seven and eight. Missouri, of course, uh, chasing the pack at four eleven. They're eleven and twenty three overall. We got to win all three of those games, guys. When they come here, I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care if we got to pull a kid out of student section to pitch. We got to win all three of those. In the West, Arkansas on top 12 and 4, Mississippi State in second now alone with a 10 and 5 record. Ole Miss 9 and 7, Alabama now 7 and 8, LSU 5 and 11, A&M 4 and 11, Auburn uh, 2 and 13, and then 16 and 18 overall. We really need Auburn to figure some things out because Auburn's going to play some teams that are going to be kind of around us in the pecking order. And so we need teams like A&M, LSU, and Auburn to pick a game off from some people because we have a chance to get some sweeps. But we need some help around the league. We really do. It's so difficult to win the SEC. Now, when you begin to look at our record and say, well, you know, Steve, we're 10-5 and at the halfway mark. Can we duplicate that in the second half? I'm going to tell you, yeah, we can. We absolutely can. 
you begin to think about this, you start breaking this down. Okay, well, State's favored to win the series at A&M, against A&M, favored against Alabama-Mizzou. Okay, well, that's, that's six right there. That's six wins right there, no matter how you slice it. Let's say you pick up a series win at South Carolina. Now, all of a sudden, you're at eight. So you get a game at Vandy, that's nine. And let's say you, you sweep either Alabama, Mizzou, or A&M, well, now you're at ten. And so, yeah, can State get to 20 wins? Absolutely they can. The schedule is very favorable for Mississippi State. We just have to handle our business, and that starts with this weekend. Again, the, the most difficult series perhaps uh, the rest of the way. Again, South Carolina's going to be no picnic. It's always tough to win on the road in this league, and they're still going to be playing for something, and, and uh, I don't know what the uh, restrictions are around there when it comes to uh, attendance. But, you know, we're going to have to go over there and play well because, listen, that's a launch angle team that plays really well in their ballpark. We're going to have to pitch it really, really well. But, uh, listen, I'm excited, as you can tell. I think we have a chance to have a really special season. And I know there's many people that say, well, you know, Arkansas swept us. You know what, this baseball. It is. You remember a few years ago we swept them and then they played for a national championship and had Carson Shaddy caught a routine pop-up in foul ground. They would be national champions today. They're not. And when that ball was falling down – Nobody said, but yeah, they, they got swept by Mississippi State. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. It doesn't matter. It just matters that you, that you get there. So we can't change the past. We can change what it means. So let's use that as our motivation to kind of move forward and uh, find a way to get to Omaha, Nebraska, and then we'll kind of see how things go. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. And that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy, E-U-F-Y. 
All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, let's look at the Vanderbilt Commodores. Let's start offensively because I don't think you guys know quite as much about them offensively. You know, the, all the headlines obviously are about, you know, Leiter and, and Kumar Rocker, and rightfully so. I mean, a lot of people are forecasting them to go uh, among the first, you know, three picks in a draft. Uh, to be honest with you, I like Leiter a little bit better than Rocker. I know Rocker is so fun to watch because he is such a big and overpowering guy. But mechanically, sometimes it's difficult for him to repeat his motion. He does make a lot of mistakes at times. The difference is, is people just hadn't been able to get the bad head out there and, and make him pay for it. Georgia did, uh, but it's pretty rare that people are able to do that. So my hope is Mississippi State can be disciplined enough to get that done. But Jack Leiter is an absolute machine. There's just not a lot of wasted motion in his delivery. He's a guy, obviously, the son of a former big leaguer, so you know, he comes from good stock and, and obviously has a good uh, working knowledge of how the game is played and how to pitch. But we'll get into pitching a little bit later. Let's take a look at this offensive team because, again, it, it is a good offensive team. It is not perhaps what they were in 2019. Dominic Keegan is a guy that uh, kind of leads the show up there. He's hitting 398. That'll get it done. And uh, struck out 31 times on the year, which is a pretty big number considering he's had 108 at bat. So almost one-third of the time he's striking out. But he is a guy that gets on base. Uh, Ten doubles, two triples, seven ribbies – excuse me, seven home runs, 33 RBI. This is a guy that's flat out getting it done. Isaiah Thomas hitting 336. Another guy that, you know, got some home run power. Six doubles, five triples – Six home runs. I don't know if you know this. Vandy leads the SEC in triples, but also a weird anomaly to that. They haven't allowed a triple. You and I both know one of the reasons they lead in triples is because of that turf. You know, you get a clean track out there and everybody kind of springs forward on that turf. So, you know, I'm surprised they haven't given up a triple. One of the guys you really got to watch, because listen, here's the deal, and I think a lot of people kind of lose track of this. Vanderbilt runs the bases pretty well. As a team, they're 47 to 52 in stolen bases. Well, 26 of those stolen bases comes from Enrique Bradfield Jr. 26 to 28 on the year. That will be awfully interesting. This is a leadoff guy that, that doesn't need a bunt to get in a scoring position. So Logan Tanner is going to you know have to be on his p's and q's here. Pitchers are going to have to do a good job keeping them close. Now looking at these home run numbers, Carter Young is a guy that leads the team with nine home runs. He's hitting 299. 
Also a big strikeout guy. Huge, long swing with him, 42 Ks. Parker Nolan's another guy that strikes out a lot, 41 Ks. Uh, but they've got power up and down the order. But you know, Van, that, that Vanderbilt's Hawkins Field is an offensive park, and they play really well in their park. And so I'm really you – know, a lot of times you don't go out there and practice on other teams' field. I'm glad we did because the hops on that turf are completely different. The ball gets on you a lot quicker out there. And maybe that helps us too offensively. Maybe it does. But, again, this is a team, obviously, that uh, you know, one of the best teams money can buy for sure. And they're, you know, they're exploring that loophole, and they'd be fools not to do it. But this is a team, obviously, that uh, can get up and down. They're hitting 306 as a team. Got 16 triples, I told you, that leads the SEC in 50 home runs. So we're going to have to keep the ball down. We're going to have to keep them in the ballpark. I'm expecting some, uh, some close ball games. I, mean, I think there's going to be some low-scoring games. 29-6 overall, 19-4 at home. And then 10 and 2 away and 11 4 in the league. And so when you begin to kind of break these things down, is this Vanderbilt team beatable? They absolutely are. Can we beat them? We absolutely can. Will we? That remains to be seen. Let's look at the pitching numbers here. It, and, and they are ridiculous. Uh, Jack Leiter with a 0.98 ERA, 7 0 record. He has two no decisions and nine starts, one complete game. Of course, he threw the no hitter. 55.1 innings pitched has allowed just 17 hits. That is a ridiculously low number. There are a lot of pitchers that we face that have given up a hit an inning. This guy's given up 17 and 55. Only eight runs on the year, only six of them earned. 94 Ks to 22 walks. Doesn't put you on a whole lot, but he will a little bit. Has allowed four home runs, and three of them came, uh, or two of them came last weekend against uh, Tennessee. Kumar Rocker is an absolute freak of nature. 1.64 ERA, an 8-1 and one record. He has not had a no decision. He has factored the decision in all nine starts. He's had two shutouts this year. 55 innings pitch, has allowed 29 hits, 12 runs, 10 of them earned, 81 Ks to 15 walks. So a similar, similar ratio. But he is a guy that is a little more likely to give up the extra base hit, giving up 10 doubles and three home runs on the year. Opponents are hitting just 151 against him. And, again, he's one of those guys, too, you work the count, make him elevate that fastball, foul it back, foul it back, foul it back, get him out of the ballgame. Uh, Thomas Schultz is the guy that will start on Sundays. We, we, we fully expect that. He's had nine, uh, eight starts on the year, four and two record with a 4.21 ERA. It has been a bit of a challenge for even Vanderbilt. 36.1 innings pitch. He also has allowed 29 hits, so he's closer to that one hit per inning. But he's allowed a team-high 17 earned runs. 34 Ks to this 11 walks. So, yeah, it's a three-to-one deal, but this is a guy that's not striking out a lot of people. Opponents hitting 221 against him. He's given up six doubles and six dingers. So, and again, another guy, if they elevate some pitches, you can do some good things with him. Nick Maldonado has been absolutely outstanding for them. Uh, 13 appearances, a one-and-one record. 0.90 with the ERA. It's ridiculous how well he's pitched and picked up a couple saves. Uh, 25 Ks in 20 innings. Uh, you can run the numbers yourself, I mean, it's, but it's not the all-star team that it has been. You know, there's a lot of times, too, you get caught up playing the, you know, the uniform or the mystique, and I don't believe the Bulldogs are going to do that. I think it's a completely different deal now. That 2019 team was ridiculously good. This Vanderbilt team is excellent, too. They're elite, but they're not on that same level. They, just, they don't score the runs with the same uh, regularity, and 
you know, they kind of made their living on having this dominant pitching. Let's run down the schedule here real quick. It's because I think it's important to look at that stuff too, especially once we get into league play, because you'll see, I mean, it's, it hasn't been, you know, the dominant scores that maybe we saw a couple of years ago. And well, listen, when you've got two frontline starters like they do, it's a little bit different. So beginning of the year, they had a couple of games at Wright State. They blew out the first one, 14-1, won a second one, one nothing. One nothing. Well, then they blow out Western Kentucky 12-1 and then lose to Georgia State 4-2. They bounce back, beat Georgia State 5-4, and then blow them out 12-2 and 17-6. They destroyed Illinois-Chicago 15-0, then they won 5-2, 1-4-2. They beat Memphis 10-4, Oklahoma State. That was a really loud series win for them. They went, they went go to Stillwater. They went 5-0, 18-4, and then lose on Sunday 10-6. And you'll notice these Sundays are, are interesting. They beat Belmont in a midweek game 4-1. They beat South Carolina 3-2, 5-0, and then lose 6-5 on Sunday. They beat Lipscomb 11-3. They go 10-2 against Mizzou, and that was a Thursday night deal. And then they go 11-3, and then on game three, they win 3-1. They blast Tennessee Tech 12-5. Then they beat LSU 13-1, 11-2, and then they get to Sunday, and they win 5-4. They sneak by UT Martin in a midweek game 5-4 and then blast Georgia 14 excuse me, they lose Georgia 14-2, come back and then win the Saturday game 5-2 and then get blasted on Sunday 9-1. You see a recurring theme on these Sundays, right? You got to get that Sunday win. So if you can still win Friday, Saturday, you have a really good chance to take the series. They nip Eastern Kentucky in the midweek 6-4 and then last weekend the huge series with Tennessee and Knoxville they win 5 nothing, lose 8-4, and then they win the Sunday game 10-4. A lot of people really felt like once they got to Sunday, Tennessee at home may have a chance. And, of course, they beat Austin P 7 nothing uh, in the midweek. Now, 7 p.m. game on Friday. I know we generally start 6, 6.30 down here. We're at 7 there. Now, it is 7 Central. That game will be broadcast on the SEC Network. Saturday game also at 7 p.m. That's on ESPNU. Sunday's 1 o'clock game will be on the SEC Network Plus. So that means you're going to have to use your app. But you should be able to kind of sit and watch your regular TV programming on Friday and Saturday. And, again, it's a night game. So if you want to on Saturday, go do all your honeydew stuff. Or you can sit around and watch college baseball all day and watch the Bulldogs in primetime. This is the most important series in the country this weekend, without a doubt. And we got to go out there and show these people that we are legit, that this is not a situation where we're just kind of getting by. You know, a lot of people picked Ole Miss to beat us last weekend, and they were wrong. Everybody's going to pick Vanderbilt to beat us. Let's make them wrong again. I'm not going to sit here and say that I like our chances, but I do believe we do have a chance to go win this series. I don't think it's, well, you know, we're going to go play the game, see how things go. No, I don't think that the gap between us and Vanderbilt is what it has been. I just – I don't. You know, we, we lost that one nothing ball game to them, and then we got – we lost to them in uh, Hoover. You know, it was just a matter of us getting the big hit. And they – listen, they had dominant relief pitching then too, and so they were able to kind of, you know, keep us from coming back. Once we got the starter out of the ball game, they were outstanding. This bullpen is not nearly as deep as that one. So, we if we can get Lighter and Rocker out of the game and the game still kind of be in the balance – we got a chance to win. And this Bulldog team is kind of made for that. We kind of understand. We don't get impatient. We know what. Let's just kind of run the count up, get a guy out of here, and then we'll attack these guys in a bullpen. Maybe we can steal a ball game late. 
And you know what? Those runs in the eighth and ninth inning, they count too. You don't have to get up five, six, seven, nothing and just kind of coast your way to it. I mean, a win's a win, no matter when you score the run. So I suspect the bullpens are going to be huge in this ball game. We have a better bullpen than they do. We just have to remain in striking distance because I believe once Landon Sims and others come in the ballgame, we can kind of hold it where it is. I also expect Will Badnar to really snap back this weekend. I, I do. He is, He's really only had a couple of starts that were less than stellar, and one of them was last weekend. Now, one of the things I think is important to remember, too, and we talked about this a little bit on Monday, very few of our players had ever played in front of a crowd like they're going to, like they saw last weekend Super Bulldog weekend, including Will Bednar and Jackson Fristo. A lot of pressure on those guys, and they'll be better for the experience. So we're going to go up here and play on the road against Vanderbilt in front of about a thousand people. Well, we've done that a lot. We've gone and played on road games and dealt with smaller crowds like that on a regular basis. Now, is there a lot of pressure on us? Yeah, but guys like Tanner Allen or Rowdy Jordan. They're expecting to win a national championship. And so these are the kind of series that they get up for. They're going up there thinking, you know what, we've gone up there and won before, we can do it again. And so you've got leadership on this team that has experience winning in that venue. And so I think as a result, they will keep the team calm. They'll keep everybody kind of settled in. And I think guys like Scotty DeBrule are big too. You may recall that uh, Scotty DeBrule had a rough stretch there and let a pop fly drop and – and he sat for four or five games. Since he has reemerged in the lineup, he's hitting number 400. He's also playing a much, much, much better brand of defense. He's also a guy that's been around. Now, has he ever played in a series between top five opponents? No, he hadn't. But this is a guy that's played in some big ball games. He walked off Florida State when he was at Jacksonville. So I expect Scotty to go over there and have a pretty good series. I really do. And that's another thing, too, that I think a lot of people forget. You know, we're a left-handed heavy lineup. So Rocker and Leiter are both right-handers. And so we're going to have a bit of an advantage right there. So we got to make sure we take advantage of it. Josh Hatcher has to have a good weekend. It, it, it's, it's essential. But when we begin to stack that, that order with left-handers, I think we've got a chance to get to those guys. And, again, if we can just steal one, I think we're going to win on Sunday either way. I really do. I think we're going to win on Sunday, but if we could still win. And what would that mean for this program if we could win this series at Vanderbilt? Do you go to number one? Probably not. You go to number two, certainly. You get a little help from South Carolina, maybe you can leapfrog a little bit. Who knows? But, listen, and to all you guys that get in these Twitter beefs about rankings, you know, it's uh, the only rankings that counter the last one. And you know what? None, it doesn't matter. Listen, I love the guys at D1 Baseball. I do. They can do a tremendous job. But they're not going to pick your national champion. We're going to win that on a field. That's why we have a tournament. It's not the BCS. It's not some computer poll. And at the end of the day, it's fun to talk about, but it doesn't really mean anything. And, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish the work those guys do. I think uh, D1 Baseball, Baseball America do great jobs. I really do. And the D1 guys, I see them all over the country. Whenever I'm I'm out traveling, covering baseball, I see those guys, whether it be Stitch. Stitch is mainly on the West Coast, but I've seen him in Omaha. See Aaron Fitt. Uh, You know, half dozen or so of those guys that are out there, you know, seeing teams play. So I think they have some real credibility. But at the end of the day, what they rank a team doesn't really mean anything in the end. And so there's just no point getting an argument. It's like, well, you know, 
we're better than Texas. I agree we are. And I think Texas is about to take a big dip now they get into the meat of their, their Big 12 play, conference play. So that'll all take care of itself. We don't need to get out there and have Twitter wars <laughs> to, to get state ranked higher. It, just, it, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It, it just doesn't. And, uh, again, I, I admire everybody's passion for it, but it's just not anything that we need to invest any energy in. Mississippi State simply just needs to keep winning. Just needs to keep winning. You go win this weekend, nobody can say anything. Then all of a sudden you get into Texas A&M next weekend, let's say you sweep that one, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're right there 15 wins already. 15 and 5 with 10 to play. You said, well, Steve, let's not get the cart before the horse. You know, we're all fans. We can say what we want. But even without a season, a series win this weekend, we can get the 20 wins. And that's, you know, 20 wins usually wins this conference, except for years when Vanderbilt just dominates and wins 22 or 23 type games. But if we can get to 20, I think that absolutely locks up a top eight national seed for us. We could probably do it with 19, maybe even 18 if it's the right 18. Because there's going to be a lot of traffic clear for the Bulldogs in the weeks ahead as some of these teams that we're in contention with play each other. So they're going to beat each other up like we saw with Arkansas and Ole Miss. And that's the, th- we, that's the thing about Ole Miss, too. I talked about it earlier in the show, how important it is for us to put a little distance between us and them. Guys, they've lost three SEC series in a row. They've now lost seven of the last ten in the SEC. That's a very difficult sell. That is a very, very – well, yeah, we're ranked here. Guys, if they lose this series, you know, where does that where does that ranking mean? Does mean anything? But they could play their way out of hosting. They could play their way into a number two. And when you begin to kind of look at the schedule and kind of think about, you know, kind of what's available for Ole Miss, you know, they as good as State's schedule is, Ole Miss's schedule is kind of diametrically opposed to what we've got to deal with. I mean, so let me run these numbers down here for you real quick, and then we'll kind of move on. i got a great top ten list for you, and I appreciate everybody's comments about the uh, top tens this week. So the Ole Miss schedule, as you guys know, they're on pace right now to lose the series to LSU. And uh, that, that needs to happen, not just because of the fact that we want to go over to the message boards and see them squirm, but, uh, you know, we need to put some distance between us and them. Next weekend, they get South Carolina, who is still very much in the hunt. They're thinking they deserve to host. So they're not going to show up and show Ole Miss any respect. I, I suspect they get a game. The next weekend, they go to A&M, and Ole Miss should win that easily. And then they get Vanderbilt, and then end the year at Georgia. So when you begin to look at these things, you can say, okay, the one thing that, you know, the, of the remaining series you look at and say, okay, they should definitely beat A&M. You can't say that about the rest of their stuff. You just can't. So they're in a bad spot. They're really in a bad spot. They need Doug and Casey to come out tomorrow and, and throw another game of his life. But as the way this all breaks down for us, you know, it's all trending the way we need it to go with the exception of Arkansas right now. And Arkansas is another team, too, that still has some very difficult games left to play. Again, their schedule – not as favorable as ours down the stretch. Let me run those numbers for you as well. Because people forget Arkansas was picked third in the West. And I told you guys on the show then, I thought some people were sleeping on Arkansas because they were so good offensively. And, and that's, that's proven to be correct. But, you know, they're a team, too, that still got some things to do. I mean, they're, they're a team, obviously, that still has uh, some series left to win. And, listen, they still got some teams in the West to play that aren't going to give them a lot of trouble. But – uh, let's look at what, what they have in store. 
you know, them beating Ole Miss was huge. So A&M this weekend, they absolutely should win that one. And they've already moved that to a uh, Saturday – excuse me. Excuse me. They've already beaten A&M. So they're uh, at, at South Carolina this weekend. Then they go to Alex Box. Now, the temperatures are rising, and LSU is starting to figure some things out, and you know as well as I do, if they have any confidence, if they take a series at Ole Miss, they're going to look forward to getting Arkansas down there. And, again, they can take a game. Then Arkansas hosts Georgia. Georgia has elite pitching. They just got to be able to stay away from those left-handers. Well, then Arkansas goes to Tennessee, and then they end the year with Florida. So you can see the teams that we are in contention with in the SEC West have a much more difficult road to get to the top of the division than we do. We just got to take care of business. We're going to get the help we need. We just got to take care of our end. How about that? Simple as that, right, guys? All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. That's right, johnnypacker.com. And every day this week, I have had a message from somebody saying, Steve, what's the name of a new sunglass company that's sponsoring top ten? It's johnnypacker.com. It's as easy as it can be, johnnypacker.com. Go by, check them out. Very stylish frames. Again, as they say, the California style with some golden triangle flair. Very lightweight, well-constructed sunglasses. And listen, here's the deal. I mean, you, you can get by on wearing cheap sunglasses for a little while, but they don't fit right. They don't feel right. And ultimately, they don't do the job. And then when you lose them, you're kind of glad you did. Treat yourself to some quality eyewear by going to johnnypacker.com. And you'll find, too, that all the frames are named after towns you know. They're named after towns in Mississippi. These are Mississippi State people putting this thing together. And one of the best things about it is this, is that a portion of every purchase goes to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. So it's not just you getting great eyewear, stylish eyewear, is you're contributing to a very worthwhile cause. And all of us in some way have a connection to CF. And uh, John C. Packer, the guy that uh, one of the owners of the company, he has battled cystic fibrosis his whole life. And so I'm so glad that John is using his platform to help others. So we should reward him and his efforts. So, again, that's johnnypacker.com. Go check it out today. They told me you guys have been coming. Said website traffic is up tremendously. I appreciate you guys for doing that. Go buy some glasses today. Okay, so we have been on a journey through rock music this week. It's been great. Found out, too, that uh, the young man that suggested the list is also the son of a former soccer teammate of mine. So he knew where to come. So we did 60s and 70s on Monday, excuse me, 50s and 60s on Monday, had a lot of reaction to that list too, and it was all very positive. I had a couple people say, you know what, Steve, I would have, I agree with your list, but I would have put this band or this band, this one band, but a lot of people enjoyed the list, and a lot, I've had some people say, you know what, Steve, I, I have rocked out that Spotify list multiple times this week. That really fires me up, and that reminds me too. As I mentioned, Roy uh, lost his dad this week. They had the funeral earlier this week. So please keep Roy and the family in your prayers for now and in the days ahead. If you've ever lost a parent, you know how that feels. You feel so alone in the world. But, Roy, you're not alone. You've got all of us. So we did 70s and 80s on Wednesday. Had a ton of reaction to that one, too. On all forms of social media, people reaching out and saying, Steve, this list was great. I agree 100%. Again, Maybe one band here or, there, or two. Just, just probably should have got this band in or whatever. 
I don't know that we could argue with this list I've got today of the 90s and the 2000s. I, I don't. And just so you guys know, too, Monday we're going to do the 2010s and the 2020s. So we're going to stay on this journey for one more day. This list today might be the best Spotify list we've ever done. It's that loaded. And I, listen, I love 80s music. I do. I, I listen to Motley Crue today on the way home. Listen to White Snake a lot. Listen to Rat. Still listen to that stuff. But the 90s and the early 2000s were absolutely loaded with innovation. Music really began to change. Because as much as I love heavy metal, as much as I love watching Headbangers Ball and all that kind of stuff, all the Revlon rockers, it was all so cool. It got really, really bloated. And it got really, really commercial. And it got really, really old. And so you had so many of these bands out here, that these little one-hit wonders, and so they... They put out a decent little rock track, and they come back with the power ballad, and they hope that they hit. And sometimes they did, but most times they didn't. And that's what we were just kind of on, on Dial MTV. We were kind of overrun with those little one-hit wonder bands. And eventually the headliners kind of got drowned out. You know, Motley kind of went on hiatus after the Dr. Feelgood album. I guess they put the Greatest Hits album out with Primal Scream on it. You know, Rat basically... Uh, after that, Nader pretty much disbanded. You know, so a lot of those bands, you know, just couldn't keep it together. And so there was time for something new in music. And there was a band that actually emerged in the late 80s that had their heyday in the early 90s that really changed music. And again, these lists are not in importance. They're kind of chronological. But it's Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains does not get the credit that they deserve for what they did for music. So Jerry Cantrell brings in, you know, the drop detuning. Really the first ones to really do that on a broad scale. A lot of people followed them because that kind of became the trend. But Jerry Cantrell never gets enough credit for what he does as a guitar player. You also had kind of the, uh, the, the dual lead singer type thing. I mean, Lang was the guy, but Jerry was very involved in some of the singing. Alice in Chains changed music. And people would say, well, yeah, but Steve, what about so-and-so? No, no. You go back, You can do the dates yourself. Alice in Chains was really the forerunners for what ultimately became grunge. And I don't consider Alice in Chains grunge. I don't. I think they're just a great rock and roll band. Number nine, and, and the, the, the Spotify song we're going with, I'm going to try to do a better job. I tripped over my tongue last time with this. We're going to go with Wood for our Spotify list. Alice in Chains, Wood. A song about addiction. A song about quitting. Number nine, Soundgarden. Now, there are a lot of people that say, well, Steve, how could Soundgarden come before, you know, Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Well, it's because they did. Because Ultra Mega OK was already out. Soundgarden had already sold a ton of records before Pearl Jam and Nirvana even had record deals. And so, obviously, I'm biased. I'm a huge Chris Cornell fan. But Soundgarden... There was a time, I remember on Headbangers Ball, when they debuted Hands All Over, which is off the uh, Loud Love album. They said Guns N' Roses' Axl Rose said Soundgarden was the next big thing in music. And ultimately, uh, Guns N' Roses covered a Soundgarden song on a spaghetti incident. You probably didn't know that, did you? Probably didn't know that, but you did. You know now. So Guns N' Roses on the Spaghetti Incident album, which is an album of covers... Um, they, as part of that, they do Buick McCain, and then they do a little bit of a reprise there, and they do Big Dumb Sex off of uh, Loud Love. And so there is some mutual respect there. And you may recall here recently, 
that Vicki Cornell released Chris Cornell's cover of Guns N' Roses' Patience. So, but again, Soundgarden, really the front runners in the grunge scene. Alice in Chains also from Seattle. Soundgarden was a little bit different. But the main thing that Alice in Chains and Soundgarden both brought is those guys could really sing. There were a lot of people in music in the late 80s that were just kind of getting by on looks and image. These guys could really sing, and they had something to say. So it wasn't just, hey, nothing but a good time. These guys were talking about serious stuff, and music got really serious really quickly. Number eight is Pearl Jam. Now, you may recall Pearl Jam is actually born from the ashes of one of the pioneers of grunge, a band called Mother Love Bone. Andrew Wood, who was the singer of Mother Love Bone, was Chris Cornell's best friend, and he overdosed and died, which eventually inspired the Temple of the Dog album, which was members of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden together. They did Hunger Strike, which is still one of my favorite songs. I want it played at my funeral. Uh, but Pearl Jam was kind of born out of that. Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament kind of put some things together. They hired Mike McCready, and uh, next thing you know, they find this guy named uh, Eddie Vedder from San Diego, California, and it all kind of came together. And so Chris took Eddie under his wing, and then Pearl Jam became a phenomenal band. In many respects, the definitive band of the 1990s. If you were looking for a signature sound for the 1990s, it is absolutely Pearl Jam, in my opinion. And so we're going to go, again, I did it again. Our Soundgarden song is Jesus Christ Pose off of Bad Motor Finger. Our Pearl Jam song is going to go off of 10, and it's going to be Jeremy. Number seven, and you probably never thought you'd hear me put this band on the list, but as much as I don't like them, I cannot deny their influence on music, and that's Nirvana. So one of the things that I give Nirvana a lot of credit for is I talked about how music had become so image conscious and it was all about the videos and things like that. Uh, the song Smells Like Team Spirit really kind of threw a grenade at all that. It's like, you know, here we are now, entertain us, because things had gotten so incredibly watered down in rock music. And so, you know, Kurt and those guys showed up and it's like, you know what, he looks like a guy that just got done working a shift at, at the Starbucks. You know, I mean, it's just, there was no frills with them. They just plugged in and played. Uh, I'm there to see a show, but I, I, I think what they did at the time was right for music. I think they get way too much credit because their catalog is actually very, very, very small. And in, in those few albums they did, I guess, what is it, Bleach, Incesticide, uh, Nevermind, and In Utero, there's probably about three songs that are decent. And someone say, oh, Steve, it's not true. No, it's true. It, it's It's real true. So... Nirvana came along at exactly the perfect time to kind of begin to change. But again, they didn't start the wave. They kind of rode the wave that Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Mother Love Bone and Screaming Trees and bands like that had kind of already put. The scene was already established when Nirvana got there. And then they were discovered kind of as, as a byproduct of all that stuff. And again, they were huge. That Nevermind album was absolutely in everybody's CD uh, collection. There's no question. So we're going to go, we're not going to go with anything off Nevermind. My favorite Nirvana song, and you think, Steve, is it true? You really have a favorite Nirvana song? I, I, well, I, maybe, maybe calling it a favorite's a bit much. But we're gonna, let's go with Heart Shaped Box, because I, I really like the chorus on that one. And most of you don't know this, and you'll do some research yourself. In Utero was so bad initially, the record company almost shelved the album. That's how bad it was. And another thing, too, about that, Ted, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but 
you can find some old interviews out there towards the end of Kurt Cobain's life, and he'll tell you he, he didn't really like Nevermind. He really wanted to be that guy from Bleach. You know, he, didn't, he didn't want superstardom. He just wanted to go kind of make his music. And Nirvana's Nevermind, in many respects, was kind of a corporate rock creation. They're, everybody in, in music is looking for the next big thing, and so they put a ton of money in Nirvana, next thing you know, they blew up, and it got to be too big for Kurt Cobain. But In Utero is definitely uh, an interesting album, but Heart Shaped Box is the one for me. All right, number six, and this is a band we don't talk about enough, and it's Pantera. Dimebag Daryl changed the way guitars were played. You know, it's like we, we, we talk in, you know, we, we, we talk about generations and things like that. You know, Jimi Hendrix was a guy that really kind of changed and built off what Chuck Berry did. And then Eddie Van Halen kind of built off what Jimi Hendrix did and Jimmy Page did and Eric Clapton did. And then you get into a little bit later in the music. And, and then, again, I think Jerry Cantrell doesn't give enough credit, get, get enough credit, but... When Dimebag Darrell hit the scene with Pantera, it was unlike anything we had ever heard. It was much like when we first heard that first Van Halen album. And you're like, what in the world is this? Where has this been on my life? That's how it was at Pantera. I mean, and the thing about Pantera is, is they're kind of polarizing, I guess, in many respects. But their fans are so incredibly loyal. I mean, it is incredible you know, the, the allegiance these people have. And, and uh, sadly, you know, Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul are no longer with us. Uh, Rex Brown is still around. And um, Phil Anselmo now has a band called Down uh, that he's with. And, and uh, there was, a, you know, talk about Phil coming back and going to Dime's funeral. And he wasn't allowed to attend. And it was all, it was all so very ugly. But when you think about what, Don Bagdarrell did to guitar. I mean, this is a guy that can basically play lead and rhythm at the same time. He's a phenomenal soloist and uh, really a guy, too, that uh, was gone far too soon. You may recall that after Pantera split, he and Vinnie Paul put a band together called Damage Plan, and that first Damage Plan album is dope. But a guy jumped up on stage and he shot Don Bagdarrell. And uh, it's one of the saddest things. And uh, there's a documentary, you know, about Pantera and Rex Brown basically jumps on top of the guy that's got the gun and, and gets shot himself to save his friends. And uh, we all need friends like Rex Brown, but um, it just didn't work, man. It was crazy. But I went with um, I went with Cowboys from Hell. I actually have a CFH tattoo. Cowboys from Hell. That's our Pantera song we're going to go from with that one. And uh, rest in peace, Vinny and Dime. Number five, a band that uh, I don't know that I have talked about enough on this show either. I used to have a huge Mother's Milk poster in my room, and it was very, very expensive. I want to say I paid 60 bucks for that poster because it was like on some weird parts from paper. It was incredible. And uh, when I went to rehab, it got stolen. That's, that's the uh, part of the consequence, right? So Red Hot Chili Peppers was one of those bands, too, that kind of took advantage of the fact that things were changing. Now, the, 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 the Chili Peppers were around in the 80s, had some hits, more of punk stuff like, you know, True Man, Don't Kill Coyotes and things like that. And they covered um, Higher Ground, Stevie Wonder song. But they really hit it big with Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And uh, I, I didn't mention that album a while back, and I'm kind of ashamed of myself. I love that album. I love every song on that album. 
And uh, Under the Bridge came out like when I was in treatment. And it was one of those things, too, that just, it became kind of like the soundtrack of my life in many respects. And uh, there's not a bad song on there. And I would encourage you, you young guys, if, if you don't know Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic album, you need to go download it today and just let it, let it bathe over you. So I, I could have gone under the bridge, but everything else on this list is kind of up-tempo, so I want to stick with that theme. So we're going to go with Give It Away, Give It Away, Give It Away Now. And we actually have one artist making a two appearances on the list. Number four, a band that uh, really emerged in the late 90s but became superstars in the 2000s, it's Foo Fighters. In my opinion, the best thing to come from Nirvana is the Foo Fighters. And uh, I have so many great memories listen to the Foo Fighters and uh, it's a lot it's a big part of my travel music sometimes too I think Dave Grohl is a genius I don't know that he gets enough credit either uh, but I went with Best of You which of all the modern rock songs that is my favorite one like if I had to like rank my favorite songs of all time I would probably say number one for me is Carry On My Wayward Son from Kansas but number two would be Best of You from the Foo Fighters. It's just one of you know, you have moments in your life when you stumble across music and it just kind of answers everything you're dealing with. That's how it's been for me. And uh, Best of You, it's just one of those songs of inspiration that I listen to when I need it. Number three, and a band that, uh, again, got their start in the 90s and they really exploded in the late 90s, but in my opinion, had their best run in the 2000s. And it's the band Tool. And again, we don't talk about them enough. You know, Maynard, again, is a musical genius, but they are so different than everybody else in the genre. And they really kind of did some things that were so innovative. Like there was a, there was one song, I can't remember which one it was. I want to say it's off 10,000 Years. But they sucked all the oxygen out of the room and they put helium in the room so they could change the tone of the drums. And so they experimented with so much of that kind of crazy stuff because Maynard is just off this rocker that they don't sound like anybody else. Tool is one of those bands that when you are listening to Tool, you know exactly who you're listening to. And there's so many great songs. I could run them down for you, but you know, you need to discover them for yourself. I would start with Undertow and just work my way forward. It is there is not a bad tool album. And the great thing about it is too, a lot of those songs are six and seven minutes long, and so it's almost like two songs in one. But if you put the album on, it'll take you on a journey that perhaps that uh, other music won't. I absolutely love Tool and uh love Maynard James Keenan, even though he is one of those guys that uh that he's got a lot of stuff with him, let's just say that. Number two, and again, this is one of those bands too. I I almost put Limp Biscuit on the list, but I'll be honest with you, uh, outside of uh, West Borland, you know, I, I'm not a huge Limp Biscuit fan. I mean, they were they were a huge band, but again, I think their catalog is really limited. So when we got to talking about new metal, and new metal, the roots of new metal actually go back decades, and I want to explain it to you as best I can. I believe that the new metal sound was actually born with Jimi Hendrix's Crosstown Traffic. In many respects, it's kind of the first rap song. I know a lot of people say Rapper's Delight from the Sugar Hill Gang. You go back and listen to, you know, that slick little drum beat on Crosstown Traffic, that's that big bass sound kind of moved forward in life. And then I'm very proud to say that I was around for all this stuff, but like when Aerosmith kind of reunited and they 
did walk this way with Run DMC. It was one of those big things to for race relations in many respects. It was like all of a sudden, oh, well, we can like rap too. And like, and then some of my black friends I went to school with are like, hey, I kind of like that Aerosmith group. That's really cool. And so it was like all of a sudden it was okay for us to talk about music that maybe perhaps we weren't quite as familiar with. And then the next step in that evolution is one of the greatest things that ever happened. It's when Anthrax and Public Enemy united to do Bring the Noise. And when that happened... I get chills thinking about it now. When that happened, it was such a incredible moment because, and they toured together. And so there were a lot of people that came out to see Public Enemy that got turned on the anthrax. And so all of a sudden, you had the best and two bands, two artists that were at their peak working together and anthrax covering one of their songs in their own way. And of course, Chuck D and, and Flavor Flavor on it. It created a new genre of music. And that was new metal. And one of the best bands to come from that genre is Corn. Uh, you'd say, well, still not surprised you got dreads. Well, you know, I probably grew out dreads because of Lenny Kravitz, but uh, nevertheless, I'll take it because I, I love uh, Head Monkey from Corn. But, you know, Corn is one of those bands too. Like Limp Biscuit had some rocking songs, but they were really kind of silly. Corn to me was a much more serious band and still are. And they matter of fact, they just got done writing their new album. They're fixing to you know record a new album, which I'm excited to hear. But Corn has had staying power. All these years later, Corn is still selling out arenas all over the country. But number one, and somebody else that kind of took what new metal was and took it to its zenith. It's Lincoln Park. Oh, and by the way, our Again, I messed up. Our Tool song is Vicarious. Our Corn song is Got the Life. But Lincoln Park, we're going in the end. But Lincoln Park took so many different elements. They had a DJ. They had a rapper. They had a screamer. They had a rock guitarist. You know, it was it was so such a homogenized thing. It was like we took the best of all the things that we like, and then we made a band out of it. And it really makes me sad that Chester's no longer with us. I don't know what Mike Schneider and the guys are going to do moving forward, but um, there is a hole in music right now without Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington. And so somebody else will come along, but I don't know that they will ever truly be replaced. So that's a list today. Again, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Pantera, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, Tool, Corn, and Linkin Park. Royal have that Spotify list up. And listen, I'm going to tell you, this is one you can crank This is Good Friday driving home music. It's going to make you feel good about life, I promise you. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out on social media. Let me know. I might just do it. All right, now let's talk some basketball brought to you by Campus Bookmart. As a matter of fact, I go by and see Stan this morning before I leave town. Stan has some bold peanuts for me. And I meant to go by today, but I got busy. So I'm going to go by Friday on my way before I go to Nashville. I'm going to swing by, and I'm going to see Stan the man and uh, pick up my bull peanuts. Now, he may not have bull peanuts for you, but he will have some Mississippi State merch for you. If you can't make it to town, because if you could make it to town, he might give you bull peanuts, but if you can't, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. They, we went in there. I, I bought uh, black MSU Sunday black jerseys, and of course, they're not wearing them now. 
but I got black jerseys for both of my sons. Got one for myself, courtesy of Stan. And I'll tell you, we love them. We absolutely love them. And uh, my youngest son wears it to school, puts on his black M over S hat, and uh, goes there and is like the coolest kid at school. Your kid could be the coolest kid at school too by visiting campusbookmart.net and ordering a nice baseball jersey today. Okay, so we've had a lot of basketball traffic here as of late, and there is a lot of excitement in the air, and rightfully so. Garrison Brooks has signed with Mississippi State. Uh, DJ has also signed. DJ Jeffries has signed with Mississippi State. So it's over. You know, it's like all of a sudden you think, oh, these guys commit. We've got to wait it out, get a signing day. It's done. And they're going to be here in time for summer workouts. And so when you begin to kind of think about what has happened to Mississippi State basketball here, you know, in the last couple of months, you know, we just look at the fact that we you know, played for the NIT championship. And I, listen, I get it's the NIT, but this is a team that needed to play some games. We thought our season was over. We went out there and played really well. DJ Jeffries beat us, and now he's on our team. How cool is that? So he and Cam Matthews are good friends too. So that's going to help as well. But the deal with this is when I begin to kind of look at all this stuff and begin to think about, you know, what Ben Howen has done to elevate this team's chances for next year, it is, it is really remarkable. And I, I don't just give Ben the credit for it. I mean, it's his program. But, you know, George Brooks and those guys, Ernie, do a great job for Mississippi State. And so when I think about this recruiting class and I think about these transfers and I think about what we have coming back, it is impossible not to be excited, not just optimistic, but excited. And I think we would probably all agree I've been as hard on Ben as anybody. But I'm going to give him credit when he does good things. And he has done a great job in this offseason kind of getting Mississippi State back into a position to compete right away. So Cameron Carter, out of Oak Hill Academy, shooting guard, 6'3", 180, has signed. Keyshawn Murphy, power forward from Ramsey High School there in Birmingham, has signed. Alden Applewhite, a small forward from Compass Prep in Chandler, Arizona, has signed. And then you've got D.J. Jeffries and Garrison Brooks who have both signed. So that's five new additions, and then you've got Quentin Post that has moved on. Now, that doesn't mean Mississippi State's going to add in their post player. A lot of discussion about what's going on with uh, point guards. You know, we, we could use another point guard. We don't have much depth, and it would be nice to kind of slot Iverson over to the two every once in a while. So recently there was uh, this news that kind of got out that Mississippi State is in contention here with uh, one of the top point guards in the portal. And that's Jalen Terry from Oregon. Jalen Terry was a freshman and uh, has had interactions with Mississippi State. It is down between Mississippi State and DePaul. Now, DePaul has hired Tony Stubberfield, and uh, Stubberfield was at Oregon, so that's going to be something we have to overcome. A lot of people projecting him to go to DePaul. But with one scholarship available, State has some options. If we can get a point guard, we go take one. If not, we'll use it somewhere else. 
But when you begin to think about what we have coming back, and listen, I don't know what Abdul Adu is going to be, but he wouldn't count either way if he does come back. It is easy to look at this and say, you know what? Ben has rebuilt the roster now. Last year, we kind of played with a depleted roster, as you guys know. We all knew that it was going to be a transition year. And to be honest with you, it probably ended better than we hoped. At least it did for me. And there were times we showed some real flashes, and other times we just couldn't finish. And one of the things this team needs more than anything else is a third scoring option. Because, you know, just like Memphis did, they all came out and they double-teamed D.J. Stewart and made him give the ball up, but we just we couldn't beat him anywhere else. We didn't have Tolu on the floor because, you remember, Tolu was out because of contact tracing, despite the fact that he tested negative three or four times. But the rules are the rules. But when teams could take D.J. away from us, chances are we we're going to lose the ball game. Well, now all of a sudden, when you got D.J. Jeffries on the floor, now you got Garrison Brooks on the floor, well, now you got to defend all five spots. You can't sag off anybody. You can't just look at that and say, okay, we'll double-team this guy and turn this guy loose because we're going to be able to score from all five spots on the floor. Now, I'd, I'm assuming Tolu Smith will slide to the five, and let's be honest, and this is not to be negative. We've all seen it. It's factual. Abdul Adu is a guy that really struggled on the offensive end. Good at putbacks, good at the wide-open dunks, you couldn't throw him an entry pass. He fumbled out of bounds. You give up a steal. He'd bring the ball down. And despite the fact that he was here for four years, he never really you know, rounded out that aspect of his game. But when we have all these other guys coming in, all of a sudden I begin to think to myself, well, wait a minute. If Tolo's at the five and Garrison's at the four, our rebounding should be just as good. Now, are we going to be as good blocking shots? I don't know. Probably not. But we ought to be better in every other aspect of the game. We ought to be less in turnovers. We ought to have an opportunity to score easier baskets because we're not going to have trouble setting the offense. I think we're going to be able to get into the half-court offense a lot more because people are going to have to respect the fact that we can hurt you with the three and four spots on the floor. So I am excited about Mississippi State men's basketball. And I think it's okay to be excited. I mean, listen – I, did, I wasn't excited about last year because we all knew that it was going to be a difficult year. And I think it was just kind of more of the same. And I'll be honest with you, I, I had some Ben Howland fatigue. I'm thinking, you know what, we've got this boring brand of offense. We come out here, it's not fun to watch these kids play. We lose games that we shouldn't lose. And just when you guys suck me back in, you know, we win a big ball game, then we go lose to Ole Miss by 35. You know, and so we've all kind of ridden that roller coaster with Ben. But now when I look at the pieces now, and everybody knows what a big year it is for Ben. And now I think he has assembled a roster not only to uh, kind of right the ship but win a lot of basketball games and probably save his own job. And I'm rooting for him. I really am because I'm rooting for Mississippi State. My loyalty is to Mississippi State and by proxy to Ben Howland. But I want Mississippi State to be competitive and win games on all fields and courts of play. And I believe Ben Howland has done a great job putting Mississippi State back in a position to do that this year, and I'm really excited about basketball for next year. All right, let's talk a little football recruiting. This segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys know Brooks Bryan, and if you don't, you should. He is actually uh, my second favorite, Bryan. Um, I've met his wife, and I like her better. And I'm sure Brooks would agree with me. He likes her better, too. So, And I joked with her before that uh, I, I told her, I said, I don't know if you know this, but uh, you know your husband robbed a home run against Washington to send us to Omaha. And she said, 
do I not know it? She said, there's a blown up picture in my living room. And I absolutely love it. If you know Brooks at all, you you, you kind of get it. it. It is so wonderful to think about that. But uh, listen, Brooks is not just a former Diamond Dog. And I, this is a guy that's invested in Starkville. This is a guy that wants Mississippi State to do well. He wants Starkville to do well. So he's one of the developers for this brand new residential uh, development out there off Garrett Road. And, and where is it? Steve will tell you. You come in off 82, you get on 12 like you're going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road, which becomes Garrett Road. That is the home, That is the, the road to your new home. Many of you have talked about, you know what, Steve, uh, one day we're going to move to Starkville. Now's the time. What are you waiting for? You get the newest construction in the newest neighborhood, and all the cool kids are going to be there, and your kids are going to love being close to campus, and you will too. Listen, there are a lot of my friends, and I'll be honest with you, they, they live on the outskirts. I mean, I live out in the sticks. But I got some friends that live on South Montgomery, and it's like, you know, sometimes it's a 10, 15-minute drive to get down South Montgomery to get to 12. Well, you're not going to have that trouble getting to campus because you're going to be 1.1 miles away, and you're going to be coming on the backside of campus, and so you're going to avoid all that traffic on 12. Easy access to both 12 and 25. You got to do it, man. And listen, here's the deal. They're going to have a house for every size family, and they can fit every one of your needs, whether you're living here full-time maybe this is your primary residence maybe this is your getaway maybe it's your your bulldog baseball and football basketball game day getaway or maybe it's an investment property for you they've got you covered either way got that great walking trail out there got the pavilion area so you can host people and just have a good time with all that stuff so you don't have to take my word for it you can call Brooks today, and he'll have some great stories to tell you about Mississippi State baseball. And listen, I'm a big fan of doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. I, I mean, I, that sounds kind of silly, but that's really how I feel, man. It's like if I know other people out here that have ventures going, if I'm going to go spend my money, I'm going to try to put it in the hands of Bulldog people first. And that's who Brooks is. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so let's talk a little football recruiting before we get out of here. So I really believe things are going to slow down just a little bit. So unless there is like a no-doubt guy like Stone Blanton, like if Stone Blanton called to commit tomorrow, they would absolutely take him. There's no doubt about it. They wouldn't say, well, we need to see you in camp. No, we're taking that kid. You know, Bryson Hurst, offensive lineman from Gauthier, if he called, wanted to commit, we're taking that guy. There's no questions asked. We're not going to say, hey, we want to see how you're running 40. No. We're taking the commitment. But we're right in a situation now. We've kind of got the green cleaned up a little bit, so we, we can afford to be patient. NCAA is lifting the dead period at the end of May, so you're going to have prospects. You're going to be able to come visit with the staff and watch film and shake hands and take tours and get to see the facility. So as a result of that, a lot of people that were kind of considering making a decision this semester have said, you know what, well, hey, now I can wait. I'll just wait, and I'll get a chance to go see some schools and make a more informed decision, and I absolutely respect that. I encourage that. But there's some other guys out there, too, your coaches want to see. You know, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, maybe we got to take this kid because we, you know, we, we got to get another corner, or we got to get this, we got to get that. And so now you don't have to have all that guesswork. Now you say, you know what, let's get all five of those guys that we're considering for that slot wide receiver position, and we'll get them on campus and let them compete, and then we'll decide from there. That's how we'll do it. So there is a benefit to both sides in this deal. Now the kids get to meet the coaches, and now the kids get to tour the facilities, but also, too, the coaches get to see the kids 
They get to work them out to see how they take coaching, uh, to see how flexible they are, and to see how big they are. That's one thing that's amazing to me is, like, there's so many kids out there that uh, put these uh, measurables out there and these uh, heights and weights and uh, these times, and at some point it catches up with you. I mean, you're not going to trick somebody into giving you a scholarship. At the end of the day, you know, you're not going to just be able to avoid them. You know, it's not going to be like George avoiding his uh, girlfriend on Seinfeld, you know, when he, oh, I called you to the office, missed you to call you at home, whatever. You know, at some point these guys are going to eyeball you and they're going to find out that you're really 5'10 when you told everybody you're 6'1". And so there is this recruiting funnel, and we've talked about it on the show before. You know, when you get through with National Signing Day, it seems like everybody's a prospect, everybody. And so you got this big, you know, big bowl of players. Well, then you go through the spring evaluation period, and you're able to say, okay, well, this kid's really 5'11". We thought he was 6'2". And so you begin to kind of narrow your scope a little bit. So now those kids no longer get letters, and those kids no longer get phone calls or get those social media graphics. Because you know they're not big enough or fast enough to play in this league. Well, then you get the guys on campus, and then you kind of get a feeling for them culturally do they fit what we want to do do they see life the way that we do you know what kind of families he come from what does he want to study and then you narrow it down even more and then you get these guys in camp and you get them running on your clock and have your guys measuring them out your guys out there working them out and then you can kind of narrow the field down to exactly a workable list of candidates and so what starts with thousands ends up being dozens by the time you get into summer and so Mississippi State and other schools around the country have not had the benefit of doing that. Now they're going to have a chance to do it. And so as a result, there are going to be a lot of schools, I think, are going to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Again, if there's a no-doubter out there, you're going to take that kid. But these guys that may be marginal guys or perhaps guys that you've got comparable players at that same position, maybe you've got six or seven guys for one spot, well, you, you need to work those guys out. You're not going to just take first come, first serve. You're going to make the guy, make sure those guys work out and, and earn the spot in the class. And so that's exciting to me. Uh, there are a lot of guys talking about taking official visits. Mississippi State initially said they didn't plan on using June official visits. I'm told they will use a few. May need to use some then. I'm not a big proponent of the early visit. And I've shared with you guys before one of the main reasons why is because the luster of your visit becomes a memory by the time these kids get to make a decision. This is how life works. I mean, time flies when you're, when you're paying a mortgage and raising kids. But, you know, it, it's when you think about being 16, 17 years old, I mean, six months feels like a lifetime. So you're going to visit in June and then you're going to sign in December. I mean, that, that feels like so long ago. You're not even going to remember. You're not going to remember who your host was. You know, it's just it's crazy how that works. But schools have to do what they have to do. It's a different year. You know, my hope is that next year that uh, we'll get back onto a regular recruiting schedule. We are essentially going to do that in June, but with football, you know, spring evaluation would already be over. But your summer sports, those, those, you know, basketball is going to be able to get on the road. Baseball is going to be able to get on the road. So we're taking some steps back towards normalcy when it comes to the recruiting process. This Mississippi State 2022 football signing class, I suspect will be a top 20 class, certainly a top 25 class. Now, we, I guess we peaked at 13 and we're down to about 18 right now, and that's just because we've got nine commitments and we're kind of comparable with everybody else around there. But some big-time players left to commit. And, again, once we get them in camp and have a chance to see them – and, listen, guys that, have come to camp, guys that want to play for you will come to camp. 
there's some other guys out there that may think they're too good to come to camp. Well, chances are they probably think they're too good for you anyway. But guys that want to play for you will come to camp because they're, they're not just letting you try them out. They're trying you out. So you know what? Hey, coach, I'm deciding between State Ole Miss and Auburn. I'm going to go to all three camps and see which one of those position coaches I have the best rapport with. That's an informed decision, and I encourage all young people to do that. But do all that before you make a commitment. Don't make a commitment and then decide to go see the world. So, again, and, of course, as soon as I record this, you know, somebody will commit today. But you can rest assured between now and June, if a guy commits to Mississippi State, it's going to be a guy that's an absolute no-doubter. It's a guy that has nothing left to prove or verify when he comes to camp. But I like the early stages of this class. I think we've done really well so far. Now it's about it's kind of keeping that momentum going. So if we don't pick up a bunch of commitments between now and June, don't panic and think, what's going on? Everything's fine. If you haven't done so, go to alphadogsthebook.com and you can get personalized copies of Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Flim Flam right there. That one link takes you – all those websites go to the same place. I think you could still even go to beautifulsteverobertson.com and it'll take you there too. But either way, we own all those URLs. Go check it out. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and I've had a bunch of requests about that, and, I, and listen, I'm going to give a shout-out here on the show. I'm going to thank Ashley Camp. I'm a big fan of Ashley Camp's. I'm a huge fan of Ashley Camp. And uh, she wore her Stark Villain shirt last weekend on Sunday at the baseball game and was on TV, and everybody starts messaging me and saying, oh, my gosh, Steve, there's somebody behind um, – home plate with Starkville and shirt on well it's Ashley Camp it's the beautiful Ashley Camp and again I'm a huge fan of hers and I thank her so much because now all of a sudden again her mom wore a Starkville and shirt behind home plate here a couple weeks ago and everybody's like oh where do I get those same things happen again you go to starkvillains.com and all sizes and colors back in stock go check it out today Listen, it's been a great week, man. It really has. I look forward to getting to Nashville, and we get back together on Monday. Hopefully, we'll recap in a great weekend for Mississippi State on the college baseball front, and also, too, hopefully we get a little help around the league. This is an exciting time of year. Hope you guys get a chance to enjoy it. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live.